Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It's been another big week for Liverpool with games against Chelsea, Champions League draw, and of course, lots of new contracts. So let's get stuck into it. James, Max, nice to see you guys. Good to be with you, boys. Always a pleasure, my friends. So we'll kick off before we get to the actual nitty gritty of the football match that was played. We'll obviously try and get through all of this contract slash transfer news that we've had over the last few days. We'll kick off with the skipper. Jordan Henderson signed a new contract. It was announced this morning that it will his new deal will run until 2025. I'm sure lots of Liverpool fans are happy that Henderson has committed his future to the club after a little bit of a question mark earlier on in the summer. The big question is, is this Liverpool trying to pull a bit of a fast PR move on his, on transfer deadline day by announcing the contract of the captain? Yeah, I think, they've, um, I think we've known since last week that he was about to sign a new deal. So for them to wait till today to officially announce it, I think it's just to give the fans something to get them off the back for the lack of activity in the transfer window. Um, because a few of the comments underneath, especially the tweet, um, aren't exactly all about congratulating Jordan Henderson. The more about where are the signings worth the money. Um, so it's a bit of a pity how it, you know, that's the opinion on the day it's been announced. But yeah, I think it's um, a not so smart PR move because we've all been able to see through it. Yeah, I mean, like in terms, <laughs> in terms of a hand-fisted attempt at a PR move uh, from Fenway Sports Group or whoever's decision it was. Um, it was, quite frankly, stupid to um, to announce it today. There was no need to announce it today. And when you've got all the social media and, and all of the people yammering for new signings, um, why do it today? You're just going to encourage comments towards Jordan Henderson and probably towards some poor intern who's just done exactly what he's been told and now he's going to be receiving replies along the lines of expletive, expletive, expletive you, sign some expletive players. Is it a bit disrespectful do you think to the captain? Because obviously I think we can safely say that all Liverpool fans are happy that he signed this new contract. I don't think you can find many Liverpool fans who would be disappointed that Henderson's signed on the dotted line. I think we've all wanted him to do so. But announcing it, like like we've discussed, on transfer deadline day, when it looks like no signings are going to happen, I don't know, it feels like there's a bit of a bad taste for Henderson, like you say, as, as an individual, really. He's, he's done so much for the club. He's given his 10 years of service and they've kind of announced his new contract, which should be a really positive thing. And the fan base is just kind of a bit meh about it because of the way it came about. I think a lot of it is sort of from this millennial group of, of, of fans where, you know, they're seeing Chelsea sign players, they're seeing Man City sign players, they've just seen United sign Cristiano Ronaldo. And some some fans just seem to think this is FIFA and you can go out and buy whoever you want and transfer activity happens as easy as that. And it's fans who just want everything. Um, just being a bit greedy, really. Um for some reason, you know, there's just been no transfers this summer apart from the Canate. And I think that's what it just says. I think it's the younger fan base who 
just need to learn to appreciate the, the quality players that we've got at the club and sort of congratulate him on the new contract because he's going to be with us until, what, the age of 35 now. So he's yeah. going to have, you know, the... He's, he's had his peak at Liverpool and he's and he's going to have the rest of his career before maybe his legs start to give way or, you know, he, he loses that yard of pace. So I think you've just got to enjoy every moment that we've got left with Jordan Henderson instead of jumping onto Twitter and, and, and giving, like Max said, some intern who's probably done his first social media post um, and is, has obviously got some stick for it. Yeah, Jordan Henderson should go down as one of Liverpool's best ever players. Maybe not in terms of natural talent, but certainly in terms of what he's given to the club. Um, and for for them to handle his signing like this is, as you say, it's disrespectful. But just, I know I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I've seen people saying, like, you know, talking about the rejected bids from like UAE shakes and stuff like that. And I know I've made this point on this podcast before, but... Like the fact that people are this desperate, these millennials that James talks about, yeah, like you know, social media fans who just want to be associated with the success of the club rather than actually understanding the culture behind it, and they're just happy to let some shade from the UAE or wherever just get their paws all over the um, uh, all over the club is just is what the transfer culture has done to clubs like ours um and i would say this about any any billionaire who had done what the uae and qatari governments have done um or saudi um you know if it was a american or a brett or whoever but i i just i don't understand liverpool fans saying that these are the kind of owners that we want regardless of what they've done just because they'll pump money into the club FSG are not exactly ethical, um, but, you know, this idea that we should just do a Man City or do a Chelsea and somehow force FSG to sell, to bring in transfers and then bring in some, you know, copy and paste oil baron is just, it's so depressing, honestly, just watching the discourse that's going on at the moment. It's just mad. I want new signings as much as anyone, but at the cost of, the soul of the club, absolutely not. Yeah, I think all of us want want new signings. Um, I guess what you could say to that argument is obviously I, I don't think any real proper Liverpool fan would want an ownership model like Man City or Chelsea have got, particularly with you know the background that these these billionaires and shakes and oligarchs come from, but. Could there be a bit of a compromise there? Because obviously we don't want that. But at the same time, when you look at how much Liverpool have spent in the transfer market this summer, the other side of that coin is the likes of Burnley and Brighton have been outspending Liverpool. And I know it's not all about money, but are FSG giving Klopp the, the best tools they can for him to succeed? Um <laughs> The answer to that one is no. I don't think they are giving him the best tools to succeed. I think, you know, if you look at, I saw something on, on Twitter today to say by time Klopp leaves, all of this starting 11 are basically going to be in their early 30s, which is where do you go from there? There's, there's not a lot of youth in the team in terms of, you know, Henderson's and, and Van Dyke's and players like that are all, and Salah and Mane are all going to be early 30s by time Klopp leaves. So, 
the time to start bringing in the new talent should be now um, to get them embedded in the team for a few years. So no, I don't think they are giving him the tools, especially like I said, Ronaldo's been signed, Lukaku's been signed and, you know, we're stuck with Origi um, still, you know, bouncing around the squad. Um, so, so it's not, but I, the, the, the clubs that are owned by the, the, you know, these own, these, you know, owners from the Middle East, there's not much soul to the clubs. It, it is just, just money driven. The clubs, you know, there's, there's not to take aim at any fans, but PSG fans never seem to be happy. It's always spend more money. Man City fans never seem to really be happy. If they don't win the Champions League, it's always go out and spend more money. Um, and I sort of don't want that culture at Liverpool. I don't want that mentality at Liverpool. You know, I've never had it growing up and it's something I don't want to go to. But I think it's sometimes it's it's better the you know the devil you know rather than than anything else. So I'd, I'd stick with you know FSG. They've you know won a Premier League title, rebuilt this club from the debt that they were in, and won a European title since they've been in charge. So I don't think there's anywhere to sort of doubt them as an ownership in a whole. But yeah, I just think some transfer activity need, more needs to be done because since we won you know the Champions League, we've signed Andrian, <laughs> Thiago. Jota, um, Timakas, and Canate are the, really the big names. Minamino, and you know, you're going back a couple of years now, so the level of investment has dropped off. The more successful we've been, and you know, I guess that's sort of a double-edged sword, really. I'd argue that that goes with the wage bill as well, though. Like, you know, there's the arguments: oh, Burnley have spent more in fees, and this club spent more in fees, and that club spent more in fees. Tell me what their wage bills look like. Their wage bills are nowhere near what ours are, especially considering the new contracts that have happened. Like Trent Alexander-Arnold, he must he must be on around 150 grand a week at least. Van Dijk, I'd imagine he's pretty close to a quarter of a million. Most hour will probably be over that. Um, Sadio Mane will be, you know, in the hundreds of that. Like you know, a lot of our team are going to be over 100,000 pounds a week right now. There there are not many teams on the planet who are spending wages like we are. And the players that have been signed on new contracts, people seem to think that the new contracts just don't take up any money. Like it's in the same way that there are free transfers in large quotation marks. Like Cristiano Ronaldo, everyone's like, oh my God, they signed him for 18 million euros or whatever it is and two and a half million euros a year. How cheap is he? He's going to be around 400,000 pounds a week. That's how cheap he is. Like, Wages are where the big money is in football. It's not in the transfer fees. It's in the contracts that these guys are on. Like, it's just, it's insane to me how little understanding there is just on how much money is ploughed into wages. Like, I want us to sign players. I do. I don't think FSG have given Jürgen Klopp the proceeds to the outgoings that we have had. But by the same token, to compare us to Burnley and, and to other clubs. And I'm not saying you, James, in this regard, because I know you're just citing examples, but like I've just I've seen people just make the dumbest arguments on social media saying we've been outspent by like, you know, five clubs in the championship. I've never read such a load of bollocks in my life. It's just yeah, I, be angry with the club about signings, but understand why that hasn't happened and then be angry with this. Don't just go from a place of ignorance is my basic thing. That's my rant. 
I think that's why I'd slip by. Don't just don't be ignorant uh, <laughs> in general. Um, but but sticking on this, the theme of, of new contracts, then obviously today we've had two. We've spoken about Jordan Henderson, but a few minutes really before we started recording, Nat Phillips has just been announced, which I think has probably taken us all by surprise. He's one that we thought we probably thought would probably move on. Um, he did a great job for us at the back end of last season. I'm sure we can all agree. Stepped up when we probably didn't think. He, he could. We've never really seen much of him before, so it was a big ask, but he, he filled in fantastically well at centre-half towards the back end of the season. But it's reported by The Athletic that Liverpool have received no um, suitable offers for him. He's valued at £12 million by the club. There's been a few inquiries, but no club has given um, actually bid for Nat Phillips. So Liverpool have offered him a new contract, which I guess is a wage increase to thank him for the work he did at the back end of last season and the deal that will now expire in 2025. Smart move or another example of Liverpool trying to appease the fans? I guess if you can't time, if you can't sell him, then time downs with a club does come in, then there's years left on the contract to try and barter for more money. I guess that's what they're trying to do. Um, I think he's he already said after the end of the season that you know he was willing to stay and fight for his place. You know, I think he even he knows he's going to be behind you know Matip Kanate, Gomez, and Van Dijk. So he's probably you know we're probably going to see him in maybe the League Cup um, and, and the FA Cup games and Champions League games if we're already through to the knockout stages. I pretty much see that's where he's going to be. Um, but yeah, if I, the only thing I can assume is if his contract was due to come to an end pretty soon and they've tied him down to make sure they can guarantee at least some sort of fee for him, I can't see him being on massive wages at the club. So I guess it is a, a small risk worth taking, giving him the new deal. But yeah, I, I think for what he did at the end of last season, maybe there's a bit of sentiment to it. That, you know, we gave Origi a new deal after he won the champ, scored in the Champions League final. So doesn't surprise me, but yeah, it's it just seems to be a strange one, really. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm slightly staggered by the decision, really, because Nat Phillips is a he's a he's an honest pro who is I think is fair to say a fairly limited player, um, and he did really well for Liverpool last season when he came in. But he is at the peak of his value right now. He's at the peak. And even if there weren't bids, like, you know, wait till January, play him in the, you know, FA Cup and all that sort of thing and try and hawk him then when, you know, clubs might have injuries, clubs might be desperate for a centre-half or something like that. I don't understand ploughing more wages, even if it is a small increase. I don't understand when there are clearly holes in the squad ploughing more wages into a player who's going to be fifth choice centre-back, like he might, if Jurgen Klopp thinks, which he may well, given that our squad depth doesn't look like it's going to get us a real title challenge, um, he might want to go for the Cups. So Nat Phillips might not play at all. Like, I, I just, yeah, I don't see the logic in it myself. And I think that as Luke suggested, it's a um, it's a, <laughs> another very poor ham-fisted attempt at a PR win, which was just clearly never going to happen. I, th- I think that FSG right now is in a 
a space with, um, with bad PR uh, from their actions over the last 12 months, whether that be related to transfers of the Super League that they have never been before. And I don't think a couple of contracts, um, whether one's to Jordan Anderson or not, are going to be what's going to get them out of trouble. I think the only thing that's going to get them out of trouble, as we've seen with United and the Glazers and the Love United, Hate Glazers movement, slowly starting to quiet down a little bit, is um, new signings. A 36-year-old Portuguese forward on 400 grand a week or whatever it is is usually a good way to shut people up. John Henry? Indeed. Um, in terms of other transfer activity today, Reese Williams has completed a loan move to Swansea City. They've used on their Twitter the tag, you'll never walk a loan. Swansea have to announce the signing of, of, of Reese Williams. Oh, um, I'm, I'm guessing we're all kind of on the same page. He's, he's, he's a young lad who, when we did see him play last season, similar to Phillips, he, you know, he did his best, but he probably wasn't quite up to scratch and he probably, you know, we didn't exactly feel comfortable with him, did we? Let's be honest, at centre-back. So it's probably a good move to get him into the championship and see what he's like at that level and, um, you know, get some first-team games under his belt. Yeah, I think um, he's even further down, down the pecking order than that Phillips. Um, probably the catering ladies further up the pecking order than <laughs> Reese Williams, which, again, he came in at the back end of the season you know, and, and did what he needed to do. Again, I know Max is a huge fan of Reese Williams and, you know, I think he's, you know, he looks genuinely heartbroken at the fact that he's left the club. Um, but yeah, I think it's get him out on loan in the championship. You know, hopefully he can do well down there and maybe try and sell him on to a, to a championship club if he impresses. But I, I don't see him having any part to play, at, you know, with the club going forward. Um, look, I don't have a problem with Reese Williams as a person. He seems like a nice kid, but he is clearly not of the level of, I don't even think just Liverpool. I just think a Premier League club in general. I just do not think he's that level. Like if Norwich City, who look quite comfortably the worst team in the league, are signing Ozan Kabat, then he is not anywhere near Kabat's level. And, and I don't see why he would get signed by a Premier League club going forward. Um, he might do well at Swansea. The guy can pass. I'll give him that. He can, he can hit a half-decent long-range pass. So that might help Swansea out going forward. But he just... He's a big beanpole who can get bullied by um, by stronger strikers and he'll get left for dead by faster strikers. And, yeah, he's just... I mean, good luck to him on loan. Hopefully he can forge a good career in the championship somewhere. But if if we don't see him playing in red again, then I won't be utterly devastated. Well, I can just tell you that it's just popped up on my phone and I'm, I'm actually not lying that he's actually signed a new contract to a 2026 with Liverpool as well as that level. Oh, for that, Christ. Oh, oh, Christ. <laughs> Why? So that's, uh, that's live news there. I, I genuinely thought you'd think I was lying and making a joke. Oh, I'm absolutely clear that that has a... That has just been confirmed by the club that Reese Williams has signed a new contract. Why? Jesus. Oh, my God. If you had said to me this morning that instead of signing a forward that we desperately need, I'd see Reese Williams and Nat Phillips tied down to new long-term contracts, I would have yeeted my laptop out the window. But now I feel like that would just be counterproductive. 
Maybe, please do that after uh, after we've finished recording, then by all means, knock yourself out. But um, quick word, Max just mentioned it there, quick word from you both on Ozan Kabak. He's obviously gone on, on loan to Norwich from Schalke, and then there's been options to buy next summer. Presumably they'll buy him if they, if they stay up. I um, can't imagine Kabak will go to them if they're in the championship. Um, it's a pretty good signing for, for Norwich, don't you think? Yeah, especially to get him on a season-long loan as well, see how he does, you know, see if he weathered, you know, they do want to make that investment in him, especially if they do go down to the championship. But I don't think Liverpool were quoted too much money for him over the summer as well. Um, I think it was maybe about 12, 13 million Liverpool were quoted to get him on a permanent contract. Um, so yeah, I think he's you know he's good with the decent with the ball at his feet. Um I, I do just worry that it is a Norwich side that looks like it is going to concede goals for fun. And I don't know at such a young age whether he's mature enough to, to solidify, you know, to make that defence more solid. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's one of those, I guess. But we'll just have to see how he does and wish him all the best. Yeah, um, look, I hope he does well. He seemed really passionate when he came in. Played fairly well for most of his appearances. I mean, like, he had a bit of a horror show at Leicester in his first game, but can hardly level a lot of blame yeah. him for that. Um, yeah, I think that him and Grant Hanley is actually a fairly decent centre-back pairing for a um, for a club in that area of the table. Um, yeah, Norwich are weird because Norwich have got some players that I really, I quite like. Um like Rashitsa, we, we saw him against, I think it's Rashitsa. I might be yeah. butchering that pronunciation. Apologies to anyone. Um, but he looked good against us when uh, when we played them at Carra Road. They've got him. They've now got Kabak, got Hanley's. I mean, Hanley's, you know, he's not amazing, but, you know, he's solid. Um, played fairly well against us. Got Max Ahrens in there. There are some good players at Norwich. Um, but I just, they, yeah. They look like they're trying to bring the football they played from the championship and they just don't have the rigidity in their shape to uh, stop themselves conceding goals because they seem to just be a punching bag mostly for um, for the top teams. I mean, when I saw them coming up against City, I was just like, this is not going to end well for you. Because <laughs> Pep Guardiola has made an absolute living off just kicking the crap out of teams that can't spend anywhere near what he can. Yeah. So... Yeah, look, I hope Ozan is a reason for keeping Norwich up because Norwich are a really likeable club. They play football the right way. I find their recruitment very interesting. I like Daniel Farker as a coach. He's similar to Jürgen. No matter what's happening, he is absolutely determined to play football in the right way. And look, if it's a choice between Norwich and a club like Burnley going down, then I would absolutely choose Burnley or another club that plays really dull football over uh, over this Norwich team. And hopefully Ozan plays some part in keeping them up. Yeah, fingers crossed, I'm sure. It'll be nice to see him, see what he can do in like a full Premier League campaign. Can you imagine you'll be playing pretty much every week for them? Um, and we might see him in action ourselves when Liverpool play them in the, in, the, in the Cup as well in a couple of weeks' time. They also signed Matthias Norman, the Norwegian holding midfielder, which I think could be a good, good move for them. He, they really... Norwich, I think, were crying out for a holding midfielder. I don't think Billy Gilmore's really that player, so that should would be a, a good acquisition for them. We will get to the Chelsea game eventually, I promise, but just before that, we need to talk a little bit about Michael Edwards. 
Um, obviously, Liverpool's sporting director, he's the man who's kind of engineered so many of Liverpool's great transfers over, over the last three or four years. And it was announced earlier this week that, not 100% confirmed, but it's looking likely that he will be stepping down next summer, so in the summer of 2022. Um, no word yet if he's going elsewhere or if he's just you know leaving football completely and doing something completely different. But how big a blow will that be for Liverpool, not only to, to replace him, but just in terms of the whole way that FSG and Klopp recruit players because he seems to be such a fundamental part of that process. Yeah, that, especially the outgoings, I think it's going to affect us the most. I, I never thought I'd see anyone get 20 million for Dominic Solanke and get 15 million for Jordan Ibe. Um, and he was the man to pull all that off. Um, yeah, it was quite shocking, you know, quite a shock to see that he was, you know, thinking of going. Obviously, I've seen things on Twitter, don't know how true it is, that maybe Real Madrid have been lining him up to sort of be their next successor to get them through the next rebuild stage. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I can see why he wants to go because we're not signing anyone. So at the moment, he's just sat at his desk. You know, just he's probably making brews for everybody else. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a massive miss. You know, he's he was fundamental in um, Mo Salah being brought into the club. Obviously, this is a famous story. Jurgen Klopp wanted uh, Julian Brandt from Dortmund, and he said, "No, um, go and get Mo Salah. We'll go all in on him." And um, yeah, it's going to be a huge miss and I don't think the club are going to make as much money on fringe players without him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's obviously a huge loss, but I think um, it's not as horrific as, um, as some are making it out to be. I mean, Julian Ward, his assistant is stepping in, um, who apparently is very good, according to, you know, the articles that I've read. Don't know a huge, a huge amount about the guy, but then again... He's been our sporting director for 10 years and I don't know much about <laughs> about Michael Edwards. He doesn't do anything um, with the media. But I think from what I understand about our recruitment process, which is admittedly not that much, um, I think the most important thing that Michael Edwards has done is put in a system for our recruitment in terms of data and analytics and approaching the recruitment in the right way. I think where we'll miss him, as James said, is in the sale of players. Because I like, you know, I've no idea how good a negotiator Julian Ward is. I mean, the club's obviously got faith in him. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be very sad to see him go if indeed he does go. Um, and if he goes to Real Madrid, Jesus, he could work absolute wonders with them. Um, even though their recruitment looks pretty good at the moment, if they sign Kylian Mbappe on a um, oh, a pre-contract deal is uh, supposed to do in January and they've already uh, looked like they're going to sign Camavinga. If they get him in to help them out, then yeah, I think Real Madrid's going to come back strong from their little hiatus from the absolute top top of the game. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think we'll be okay on that front. I think if Ward's worked in the system with Edwards for as long as he has, then we'll be all right. But yeah, it's obviously a huge loss losing someone of that experience and that skilled and negotiator. Yeah, fingers crossed for a seamless transition then. So after all that, there was actually some football at the weekend, away from all of that nonsense. Um, Liverpool played Chelsea at Anfield, obviously ended 1-1. Kai Havertz gave Chelsea the lead with a 
very nice header from from corner, and then obviously Mo Salah equalised that penalty just before half time. Um, the main talking point of the game being that Reece James sending off on that penalty decision. We'll we'll come to that in a minute, but first of all, I just I guess want to ask: this feel a little bit like two points dropped, given that Liverpool had an extra player for the whole forty-five? A point before the game, you probably think a point against this new Chelsea team, not too bad, but given the context of the game, probably come out of it a little bit aggrieved. Yeah, I know Klopp came out with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek comment when he said it's not a bad result to draw against the champions of Europe. Um, but yeah, definitely a frustrating game. Um, like you said, before kickoff, you know the way they played against Arsenal last week, the week before Chelsea, the way Lukaku started, you know, a point probably would have been a good result at this stage in the season against, you know, teams you, you're going to be challenging for the title with. It's, I think it's do not lose rather than, you know, than anything else against them. You know, you can't be dropping points against your title rivals so early. Um, but yeah, as soon as Reese James goes off, you're thinking, come on, here we go. This is going to be the three points. You see the Chelsea play start to lose the red a little bit, especially before half time um, and at half time going into the tunnel. Um, crowding the ref, etc. So, yeah, it's de- it's definitely two points dropped, and I'm not gonna lie, full time it was definitely a deflating feeling. Um, and it's you know, it's is it going to be one that we look back on at the end of the season, thinking, you know, we had 45 minutes to potentially you know win the Premier League. You know, is it going to stop us from getting you know the trophy at the end of the season? I don't know, but it it to me it just feels like it could be a, a what if moment. Well, I mean, like, I've kind of accepted before that um, at the end of this window that I don't think we're going to win the Premier League. I just I just don't. Um, I think this squad is more than good enough to get top four, but I don't think it's good enough to win the Premier League ahead of um, Manchester City or Chelsea, to be honest. I, just, I think the starting 11 is, absolutely. If the starting 11 stays fit the entire season, then yeah, but that isn't going to happen. Um, what did I think about the game? Um I loved it for the first the first 45 minutes were brilliant. Um, you know, back and forth, lots of chances. Kai Havertz, Jesus, he he is looking more and more of a player every single week. He is going to be unbelievable for Chelsea. I think he fits that Thomas Tuchel system with the two sort of um it's almost like inverted wingers. They're not tens, they're not wingers, they're a sort of combination of the two and he fits in there absolutely beautifully um and that head up was a thing of technical mar- it was a marvel that was a wonderful wonderful header um yeah do you think he was just flicking it onto the back post no i think he meant to score at first i didn't think he meant it but then i saw the way that he headed it and you could see him looking to direct it high because he looked to try and get his head under it and flick it. And it was just, it's beautifully done. Um, yeah, I think we did really well for the first 45 minutes. I think Chelsea, you know, they did well. I mean, you know, they have a hundred million pound Lukaku up front. He's, you're going to make chances when you've got Mount and Havertz behind him. Um, Jorginho is brilliant, I thought, for them as well. And if there is a manager that... He's happy to go down to 10 and defend in this league. I think it's Thomas Tuchel. The guy knows how to organise a defence. He does. And as soon as he did, just drop that block, have bank of five, Jorginho, and then I think it was Kovacic because Kante got injured, just sitting in the middle, not letting any passes through defeat. Um, And Jota um, just sort of got taken out of the game. 
And Salah and Mane like to dribble inside. And when you have a low bank of, what, seven in front of the box, it's just not going to happen. You just can't play that way. So all we could do is just try and ping crosses in, which when you're doing that against Christensen, who is the back three? Christensen, Aspilicueta mm-hmm. and Rudiger. Like that, isn't, that just isn't going to happen with our forwards, which is why I would have liked okay, to see us sign a bigger mm-hmm. forward. But um, uh, yeah, it, do I think it was two points drop? Yes. Realistically, you should be getting another goal. But at the same time, Thomas Tuchel isn't a manager who's going to go, no, we go for it regardless. He's pragmatic. He knows what he's doing. And he managed it really, really well. And I think there are just some times where you just have to go, you know what, fair play. The other team defended really, really well. Um, honestly, I think Chelsea were the better team for um, for a fair bit of the first half. And I think getting to 1-1 with that penalty was a bit of a stroke of luck. Um, and then they just defended really well in the second half. I, Yeah, it's one of those games where I just kind of have to say fair, fair play to Chelsea, really. I can't really have too much of a go at Liverpool. I don't think we did a huge amount wrong. Uh, but Chelsea just played really well. Yeah, I think Tuchel, he's such a game changer. People talk about Lukaku, rightly so. And, you know, you, you mentioned Havertz there as another one. They've also got an incredibly talented squad but I think Tuchel really is a game changer for them but like he's such a good manager he's so so calm it's so easy it would be so easy for Chelsea to completely lose their heads for the whole of that second half and just lose two or three one half time probably came at a good time for Chelsea in that sense because it gave Tuchel the chance to settle them down kind of organise them for that second half but the only chances of note really that we had in that second half I think Fabinho had one from range Andy Robertson as well um Maybe one or two of us aren't forgetting, but yeah, yeah, I think we'll just have to hope that it doesn't cost us too much at the back end of the season. Um, let's talk about the big incident in the game. Obviously, it didn't really affect, well, it did affect Liverpool in a positive sense, but it wasn't, Liverpool weren't the focal point of it. That handball from Reese James, um, obviously Matip hits the bar and then it drops to Jota and it's a bit of a scramble. What do we think of, obviously, I think by the letter of the law, everyone agrees penalty and red card, right decision in terms of the laws of the game. But do we think it's a it's a little bit of a harsh one? Because I personally don't think it was an intentional handball by James. I know that's not the rule, but maybe that needs a little bit of a rethink. I'm not sure. What do you guys think? I, I think the red card was fully justified. Um, I think, first of all, if the ball doesn't hit his arm, it goes in. And, I, and th- that's the first rule. The second one is when you slow it down and speed it up, his arm actually swings towards the ball. So it hits him on the thigh, goes up in the air, and you see him lean his arm towards the ball, which is where I think the unnatural position comes in. If it just if his arms were down by his side and he didn't move his right arm at all and it hit him, then you could say fair enough. The ball's hit him on the arm. You know, it's, he's not he's not done it with intent, but the fact that he's actually moved his right arm towards the ball is what causes the ball to come the opposite direction. Um, and I, th- I think it, you know, it's denying a goal score, you know, a blatant goal scoring opportunity. Um, and yeah, I think a red card is is the fair result. If you give him a yellow card, then there's a reason to give him a red card at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was fully justified. Yeah, you can't give a yellow card in that instance. It's either a penalty and a red card, or it's nothing. You can't like there is no middle option there. Um, honestly, I don't think like. It, 
this sounds weird, but I know he moved his arm towards the ball, but I don't think he consciously thought I'm going to bat this out of my arm. What I think happened was he, the ball's coming at him. He's tried to knee it out, as you've seen, and it's gone sort of off the top of his thigh and gone back towards the goal. And I think just on reflex, his hands just come out um, and hit it. I think not so much harsh as unlucky. Like, it was just, you know, it was one of those yeah. weird things. Like, you know, if, the, if that ball is two inches lower or even an inch, it probably, he saves it with his knee um, and doesn't have to use his hand at all. But the fact is the ball was going into the net and he used his hand to deny a goal-scoring opportunity. That is a red card in, in whatever sense you want to use it. And I know there's this argument of, oh, but it came off his body first. But the thing is, is that it came off his body in such a way the ball was going to go in the net. You can't use your hand to deny it and then claim it came off a body instead. Otherwise, like anyone who shanks an own goal and then, you know, dives on the ground and clears it out with their hand would go, oh, but it came off my body first. Like, it's just, you can't use that argument. It, ma it makes no sense. Um, do I think it was harsh in terms of the rules? No. Do I think it was unlucky? Do I feel for him a little bit? Yeah, because I don't think that he was on the line just going, I'm going to do whatever. Because getting yourself sent off and giving away a penalty in that situation at 45 minutes would just be stupid. Just cop the goal if you're doing it that way. But I just think reflex action, his hand has just come out. It's in the same way that, like, you know, if any of us are playing football and a ball gets kicked at our head, like, you know, from two, three metres away, you reflex, you're going to go like that and put your hands up to stop it. I think it was exactly the same thing. So, yeah, I just think it was bad luck more than anything. I don't think Chelsea fans have got anything to complain about, but I can understand why Reese James was upset to be sent off because it's just a very unlucky situation he found himself in. Yeah, it may, it may even have suited Liverpool to stay 11 v 11. Obviously I think it would have, Chelsea. to be honest. If that had just been a penalty and been a goal, then I think Chelsea would still have, you know, tried to go, OK, yeah, we can still win the game. We were probably the better team for the first half. We can go out and still win this. Whereas going down to 10, Thomas Tuchel was like, nah, shut the doors, get out of here with a draw, considering the circumstances, that's top work. And... As I said, there's no one in the Premier League who knows how to organise a defence better than Thomas Tuchel, I don't think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back a little bit, I guess, to the lack of signings comes into this question, but do we think that Klopp's substitutions on the weekend kind of demonstrate that he doesn't really trust the depth of the squad that much? We know the starting eleven is fantastic. We know the front four, including, you know, Firmino, Jota, Salamane, we know they're all great. But if you look at the subs he made in that game, where you expect Liverpool to kind of take the game by the scruff of the neck and go on and win it due to having the extra man. Obviously, the Firmino subs enforced, but he brings on um, Timmy for Robertson. And I forget who the other sub is now off the top of my head. But Henderson for Thiago. Henderson for Thiago, that's right. But he leaves Keita unused. He leaves Oxo Chamberlain unused, Minamino unused. Kind of the forward players. Obviously, Origi wasn't involved, but... Those kind of players who you may think, particularly Oxlade Chamberlain, who we know if we're shooting from long range, he's one of the best at that, probably in the, in that midfield positions. Does that demonstrate Klopp maybe doesn't have as much faith in those guys for the really, really big moments? Yeah, 
I think the the substitution that highlights the most is the one you said first, the Robertson and Simakas. I mean, what was it, the 86th minute he brought? I mean, what's Simakas going to do from the left-hand side with a team that are playing two, two back lines of what, back five and then all the midfield in front of them, a left-back isn't going to break that down. Um, I was quite shocked that we didn't see Chamberlain come on just because, like you said, you know, we, he, he can hit a shot from distance. He does know how to beat a man. He's quite good in tight spaces in and around the box. But I guess the unplanned substitution and bringing Jota on for Firmino probably changed what Klopp was 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 going to do. And maybe you know, we, Klopp just sort of settled for the point. I guess he probably thought, well, what am I going to get from bringing Chamberlain on if they have really got this these two back lines? I think his sort of hands were tied a little bit, and I mean that just shows sort of shows what we've got. I know Max made the comment before of we need a taller striker if we're going to be crossing balls into the box, and you've got Jota at what five foot seven, five foot eight, trying to get in between some really tall defenders with all the crosses going in. So yeah, I think the first substitution being forced doesn't really help. But then to bring on a left back, I just think those. I don't know if it's a plea to the board to say, "Listen, I need something in these last couple of days if I'm bringing Simakas on." But yeah, it, it doesn't fill me with much confidence, especially around December time when injuries start to come into play and when Moore and Mane and especially Naby who didn't even come on all go to the African Cup of Nations. I think it for me it depends on the player that we're talking about, like Alex also Chamberlain. I understand the long shot thing, but at the same time, if you're if the box is packed and you're Alex Oxley Chamberlain, you're 25 yards out and you've got eight men and a goalie between you and the goal, like your shot, the chances of that going in are zilch, basically. So I can understand him not coming on. And uh, I think the two that I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to see cater but I can understand why Thiago came on because you want someone who's able to slow down the because Chelsea were getting some chances on the counter a bit later in the second half and I think you wanted someone who was able to almost slow it down a little bit like sort of keep them penned there rather than like having the sort of a more of an end-to-end kind of thing um and then but the one I don't get is Minamino because Minamino he's not physically strong in any way but what he is quite good at is finding space in those little pockets and like making a little dribble to beat a man and in all honesty Sadio Mane is a great player but he's not great at breaking down a block it's not his style of play never has been um and I think having Minamino there would have been even if you swap Salah into that nine role put Minamino right and Jota left and just sort of mix things up a little bit. I think that could have worked. Um, but I do think in the end, with Chelsea sort of ap- applying a little bit of pressure at the end and Romelu Lukaku up top to act as a, you know, hold-up player, as well as someone who can hit you with pace on the counter, I think Klopp just got to the point where he was just like, you know what, I'd rather get a point against 10 men and walk away, you know, with something than drop points to 10 men and have the psychological blow that that would inflict yeah. so yeah that look I, I don't think it's necessarily a lack of faith I mean he wouldn't have started Navigator and I was like say Chamberlain in the first two games if he didn't like them that much but I just don't think he felt this game was right whether that's correct or incorrect is another thing entirely I'm just saying what I think his um, thought process was 
And before we move on, another start for Harvey Elliott and another full 90 minutes of Harvey Elliott. I thought he might be one to, to possibly make way for a kite with Thiago when I was watching the game. But were we surprised he started such a big game? I guess it's such a show of faith from the manager that he really, really trusts him. And he, he looked good again. He looked really sharp. Um, maybe got in Salah's way a little bit over that right side. It seemed like that was a little bit of a compact area of the pitch. But overall, I thought it was another really bright showing from him. Yeah, I think uh, Gary Neville even mentioned it as well in commentary about how impressed he was with Harvey Elliott. I think there was a moment in the second half where he, he tried to backheel the ball back into play, thinking that Trent was going to run through when he lost the ball. And then he sprints another 25 yards to the halfway line and wins the ball back. Uh, and you think at the age that he is to show the commitment that as soon as he loses the ball, you know, he's more than willing to go and go and win it back for his team. And, you know, he did look dangerous on the ball. And like you said, sometimes he did drift quite far out on that right-hand side to where Mo Salah was. And, you know, you could see there's a little bit of teething problems there, but obviously a relationship still needs to be formed between the two of them. Um, But I thought it was, there's no fault of his own with Harvey Elliott, but in that game, Liverpool did have a problem down that right-hand side with him and Salah because both of them players like to cut inside. You know, Salah likes to cut inside to his left uh, with his left foot and try to bend it in. And Javier Elliott likes to cut inside as well. So there really wasn't, we didn't stretch them down that right-hand side. But again, it's not so much his fault. Um, I just think he's, you know, he's trying to learn from, from Salah and trying to replicate what he can do. But yeah, it was a really good showing. And I think when we, he came back from that loan spell last season at Blackburn, and Klopp's come out and said, obviously, that he's going to be Shakiri's replacement. I think a few eyebrows were raised, um, but I think he's, you know, he's, he's fully you know, worthy of his, his spot in the starting eleven, especially after Sunday. Uh, Saturday, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think Elliot's brilliant. Him and uh, Salah were causing Chelsea all sorts of problems down there, um, down the left-hand side of the defence. Um, Elliot's clearly got the confidence to be playing in this team. Yes, he's not exactly the biggest defensive presence, not because he doesn't work hard, but just purely because he's, you know, a pretty small bloke and a big, powerful midfielder is going to brush past him um, in a shoulder-to-shoulder. Um, but he didn't look out of place, did he? Like, like this is the litmus test for a player of that age coming into the Premier League, going up against midfielders like Conte and Jorginho and then having a flying wing back like Alonso going past you. And I think he passed it with flying colours. He's, he's really confident to take on his man. He was threading some nice passes. I, I think Harvey Elliott is going to be maybe not the starter, but I, I think that I really think Thiago amazing as this is to say, and I can't quite believe these words are coming out of my mouth, I think Thiago is going to be hard-pressed to take his spot off Harvey Elliott because, I mean, they offer totally different things. I should make this very clear. Harvey Elliott is not a deep-line playmaker like um, like Thiago is, but he just offers that bit of directness coming out of midfield that we haven't had in so long. Um, and, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him play more. I think he looked great against Chelsea. Um, really can come out of it with his head held high, especially considering his age. Um, I don't think he's, as, I, as I've as i said before, I don't think he's got the pace to play in a 4-3-3 in our system. If we switch to a 4-2-3-1 for any reason, he could probably play in the attacking three 
um, in that case where the system's a bit less reliant on, on athleticism in that area. But um, yeah, I think he looked great and I can't wait to see more of him, to be honest. And finally, it was a Champions League draw this week, which is always an exciting time if you have to, you know, I guess if you're sitting through it, like <clears throat> James did for our social media, having to watch all of that fanfare that they put around it. But um, what do we reckon of that group then? We've got Atletico Madrid, AC Milan and Porto. On paper, it looks probably one of the tougher groups out there. Pretty watchable for the neutrals, though. Um, it looks to me like we can't really afford to rotate too much in these games, though. There's not, doesn't seem to be one absolute kind of dead rubber team, no disrespect, that you'd expect is to walk over, so to speak, or be the whipping boys of the group. Yeah, I think, obviously, with a lot of teams like Villarreal going into pot one, obviously made pot two a little bit more exciting. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, once we got past Branislav Ivanovic's monotone voice, you know, <laughs> announcing all the teams, we, we got to the, the exciting part of the drawing. You know, it's... Porto, you know, we seem to be getting them pretty regularly now. And obviously we've got the, the history with AC Milan. So I think the AC Milan tie looks, for me, it's going to be the most exciting just because of the, the history between, you know, what happened at Istanbul. But yeah, I think two teams, so Porto were, you know, defensively solid and looks to hit you on the counter. So before we even get to play Atletico Madrid, we've got two really tough games and I've not seen the fixture list to where they're dotted around our Premier League fixtures. So, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a tougher one, um, you know, perhaps that we had last year and the year before that. But, you know, it's, it seems to be a competition that we seem to be thriving in under Jurgen Klopp and hopefully we can get the group done, done and dusted pretty early on instead of going down to the final day worrying. I'll just say this. It could be worse. We could be Club Bruges in a group with Man City, PSG and RB Leipzig. I mean, I saw that come out and I was just like, oh, you do not want to be Club Bruges on a Champions <laughs> League night. Um, I mean, they'll make a lot of money off revenue, but they're going to get spanked. Um, anyway, Seaman also- Mignolet is going to keep a clean sheet in every game. <laughs> Seaman Mignolet just going, please stop! <laughs> um, no, I... Uh, look, this group is it's 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 doable to be honest. Um, AC Milan are a good team, but they are not the AC Milan of you know even 10, 12 years ago. They're just not. Um, there's still a few weaknesses in that team. Um, they're a very young team, mostly quite inexperienced, even though I will say Franck Kessier is an absolute monster in their midfield. And Theo Hernandez is a top, top quality left back. They have some good players in there. Porto are they're not exactly an unknown quantity to us. Um, they, you know, just keep popping up. Our fans get a lovely trip to the north of Portugal, get a bit of a tan, watch Liverpool usually win. And then come home and drink, or drink there, or just drinking's involved. Um, just all, just all, yeah. Um, Atletico Madrid, I'm slightly more worried, to be honest. Um, yeah, me too. I, I think that team is better now than it was uh, when they knocked us out of the Champions League. I agree. Uh, you know, Rodrigo de Paul is a top, top signing for them um, coming in. Uh, yeah, they're really good. 
is just Luis awesome Suarez. Say. Yeah, Luis Suarez coming back to Anfield um, uh, again, and he'll be hoping that he doesn't get spanked four 0 this time and have Robertson laugh in his face. Uh, or Fabinho just, doesn't go through him. Or Fabinho doesn't go through him. You just you just know that there is nothing that Luis Suarez wants more than to absolutely shit out a one nil win with Atletico Madrid at Anfield off a penalty that he's dived for. That is what he wants. And yeah. honestly, I'd find it slightly funny in a really dark way. Well, um, we, we loved it. <laughs> we can't lie. We loved it. So we can't then hate it when it happens. Well, yeah. we can. <laughs> I mean, we can. We're fans. We're supposed to be hypocritical. That is literally the whole point of being That's a football fan. Um, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Look, we should get through this group. Honestly, if we if if this team can't beat that Porto team and this AC Milan team to at least finish in the top two, we've got some serious issues. Um, uh, yeah, we should get through. Uh, and then see what happens later on. But honestly, there are so many interesting groups in this Champions League. I'm really happy for it. I think my favourite thing that I've noticed about this is Borussia Dortmund have somehow managed to land themselves in yet another classic Borussia Dortmund group where no one's really shit, but no one's yeah. really good either. I swear to God, it happens every single time Borussia Dortmund are in the Champions League. They're in that group that's full of, like, in this case, what? Um Ajax, Besiktas and Sporting. Like, it's just that no one's really good, but no one's crap either. And I want that for Liverpool one day. Just saying we should comfortably get through, but they're entertaining to watch. And I think this is close to that, but Atletico Madrid have kind of ruined it for us, you bastard Simeone. Yeah, some nice trips there as well to Lisbon and Amsterdam and Istanbul. So Yeah, yeah and then we've got Milan, Madrid and Porto. I mean... That's not bad. That is not bad at all in terms of a holiday destination. And in terms of the way the fixtures are kind of scheduled, we play Milan at Anfield is the first tie, then it's Porto, and then it's Atleti away is like the third game. Um, So how important is it really for Liverpool to get six points out of those first two Milan and Porto games before we go away to, to, you know, Madrid, where we know it's absolutely so difficult to get a, a win. Yeah, it, it's going to be huge for them, especially with the Atletico games, home and away being back-to-back. So, you know, there's, an, there's a, a chance that AC Milan or Porto, when they play each other, either them, if they beat each other to home and away, there's the six points that are available. So Liverpool need to be... Yeah, at least six points by the time we play Atletico Madrid. Um, and it, this is the thing, AC Milan seems to be a team you know, coming on the up um, at the moment in Serie A. Um, and we know how difficult Porto can be. Um, so yeah, six points is going to be vital for them, like I said, before you go into the double header with Atletico, because if they play against us the way they did, which is it's the way they always seem to play, um, played us in the Champions League a few years ago, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win 1-0 in, in Madrid and come here and park the bus and draw 0-0 and all of a sudden, you know, five points have gone by the wayside and you're scrapping with the other two teams to try and get that second place. So, yeah, definitely need six points before that. Yeah, I agree. You want to be going to Madrid with absolutely no pressure on you. Um, I think it's, what, the first two games are away? Sorry, at home? 
Um, Milan is definitely at home. I'm not sure off the top of my head on, on Porto. I'm just going to have a look at that. Um, da, 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 da. Sorry, I'll I'll um, I'll edit this out, but I just want to make sure because it's um, it's not really going to help me otherwise. Uh, no, okay, so we're away in Porto for the second game. Um, yeah, we need to get six points. Going away, going away to Porto, quite frankly, we should still be winning. Porto are an obstinate team, as they showed against Juventus um, in last season's Champions League. They're an absolute bastard to play against, but um, we should still be winning that game, frankly, with the squad that we have. Milan at home, we should be winning. Honestly, if we don't get 10 points out of the 12 against Milan and Porto, I'm going to have serious issues. Um I would like, you know, if we draw away at the San Siro, then fair enough. Like, you know, I have no issues there, but we need 10 points from those fixtures. Realistically, that has to be the minimum goal. And then going to the Atletico Madrid games. Honestly, if we, if, if we draw both of those games and win and get 10 points, sorry, from uh, the other four, then we're through. 12 points gets you through. So that should be the minimum of what we're aiming for. Yeah, it's a nice little quirk as well at the Champions League, but which I found absolutely astonishing that this will be the first time that AC Milan have ever played at Anfield in a competitive fixture. The only two times Liverpool and AC Milan have met each other in competitive fixtures have both been Champions League finals, which just seems insane when you think how much history both teams have in, in European competitions that they've just somehow never, we've never met them other than the final. But we'll uh, have to see what happens there. So... Yeah, we've got an international break coming up next. Um, but until then, we've still got plenty of content for you guys. We've got loads of articles on our website at anfieldcentral.co.uk, um, on our Twitter at anfield underscore central. And obviously our podcasts are released every week on Apple Pods and Acast. Um, James, Max, thank you for your company as always. It's always good to speak to you, boys. Always a pleasure, gents. Um, and uh, yeah, just seen Camavinga official to Real Madrid so that's another bargain that has uh, slipped by 30 million euros to Camavinga is an absolutely mental price we should have been all over it just putting that on the record yeah um, well the good news is that next week on our podcast there will be absolutely no transfer talk um, so yeah until then goodbye <laughs>